This is the Used Car Dealer Podcast. Hello, Zach here, and we have a great guest on the podcast today. Joe McCloskey, who was just sworn in, is the new NIADA president of the board of directors. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. So let's get started. And for those of us listening, talk about how you got into the car business and what the last 50 years has been like from an industry evolution standpoint. Wow, that's I started in the car business over 50 years ago. I started out sweeping garage floors and then was recruited as a lot boy, a lot porter back then is what they used to call it, uh, at a local Volkswagen Mercedes-Benz dealership in Pueblo, Colorado. And uh, it was there where I started learning. I was also a mechanics helper and helping uh, repair vehicles, sweeping garage floors again, and then also cleaning cars and detailing cars. And then in 1974, at age 17, being a junior in high school, I got promoted to selling cars. So uh, I would sell cars after high school and on Saturdays. And it was then that I realized that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And uh, so that's what started my career. Uh, Shortly after that, I went up to Denver after graduating high school and moved to Denver and then began selling cars at larger stores, much larger stores, and uh, started my career more as a true professional salesperson, moved back down, met my wife in Denver, moved back down to Colorado Springs, and then also ran um, two local dealerships before starting out on our own in 1989. Uh, So we're now celebrating our 32nd year anniversary in our 33rd year. Um, So I've been a member of the Colorado and National Independent Auto Dealers for over 32 years. I've served as a board of director for uh, Colorado Independent Auto Dealers for 27 years and a National Independent Auto Dealer Board Director for uh, over eight years. So during that period of time, we've seen a lot of changes a lot of things happening. Um, I, you and I were talking and, and uh, you said you might pose that question to me. And I was thinking back when we first started, uh, there's been a lot of industry changes. I remember, Zach, when uh, the odometer statement first came out and everyone thought that the world's coming to an end because <laughs> we had to actually write down the odometers of cars and certify that that was the actual mileage. And how could we certify that that was the actual mileage? to the advent of computers. You know, back then when I first started, we were doing contracts by hand and figure payments by hand. I have a little black book. And it's uh, certainly the industry along with technology has advanced quite a bit. Uh, you, you know, we've, we've been through uh, historically back since I've been in the car business, uh, multiple recessions, uh, multiple wars, unfortunately, even presidential assassination attempts and you know, all sorts of things that happen, oil embargoes and that type of thing. Uh, and the one thing that's always impressed me about uh, independent dealers and car dealers, and that's in the car business, is our perseverance, our passion for the business, and uh, taking a, a statement from the military, our ability to adapt and overcome. And that's always really impressed me. In fact, 
that's what makes me so proud to be a part of our industry is that that perseverance and okay, well, we've been dealt this, this item now uh, or this event or these rules or regulations and uh, okay, so how are we going to handle it? How are we going to adapt and overcome and continue on with our March to being a successful business and operation? Very well put. And you mentioned to me on our first call that you've owned franchise dealerships as well as independent dealers. In your opinion, what are the advantages, disadvantages of running a franchise store versus an independent? Because I've heard of some independents getting like a Mitsubishi franchise, for instance, to get better financing options. What's your opinion? Well, you hit the nail on the head, Zach, and that is exactly why we became a franchise dealer was to get better financing and more financing opportunities for our um, used car operation. And I'll never forget when we signed, where I was at the local bank signing a um, our loan uh, to go into debt for a new car store. I had, as an independent dealer at that point in our career, uh, many years ago, we had our uh, everything paid for. And we were basically running the business out of our checkbook. But in order to become play that game of being the in or a franchise dealer and having quote unquote the credibility of a franchise dealership, we had to go uh, over a million dollars into debt to purchase the franchise parts inventory and that type of thing. And I'll never forget that the uh, bank uh, president came in to see me as I signed in the documents. Or to go into that debt, which my hand was trembling and my lower lip was quivering <laughs> as I was signing that paperwork. And um, he came in and he patted me on the shoulder and said, congratulations. And he said, I want you to remember one thing. And I looked up at him and I said, well, what's that? And he said, I want you to remember that you're a used car dealer that happens to have a new car dealership. And I thought, looked down for a minute. He says, never forget where you came from. Huh. And I said, okay. And I thought that, that that advice really served me very well while we had new car dealers, uh, new car franchises. <clears throat> and, you know, there's a lot of, Zach, a lot of successful new car stores. And, um, and a lot of people, a lot of those stores are very, uh, very best in class what they do. And they provide an excellent product and excellent service. The, the thing that I found differently was number one is the amount of debt that you carry. Uh, being a franchise store, uh, the, uh, fran you, the franchise owes you, the manufacturer owes you much more money than you would ever owe, owe the manufacturer. And warranty receivables, co-op receivables, and uh, also contracts in transit with, if it's captive financing. So I found that that was really interesting, but heaven forbid, if I owed them $1,500, they'd be all over me like white on rice, you know, <laughs> <laughs> trying to collect. But the, uh, the uh, probably some of the other things that struck me was the fact that, uh, you know, being, being an independent dealer before, I was used to taking care of the customer the way that we knew on our local way in dealing with the customers that we should take care of them. And I found in a franchise dealer environment that that is a lot more restrictive, what you can and can't do. And we also felt that, I found that we were working towards our 
customer satisfaction on a local basis. We know our customers how to take care of them. On a manufacturer basis, you're trying to meet the, the requirements of a factory survey. And uh, some of those are third-party surveys that they send out and your incentives and your standing with that manufacturer is based upon how well uh, and you do and perform under that factory survey. Well, that factory survey is one survey it's one one mold that is supposed to fit each and every dealership throughout the entire nation. And that doesn't necessarily fit that well. And how you should maybe take care of a customer in Colorado, Colorado Springs, where we're located, may not necessarily be the same way that you would take care of a customer in Cincinnati, Ohio, or Sarasota, Florida, or in Redding, California. There are There's all sorts of different ways that you would take care of that. But... Um, so the franchises, uh, both of them ended up going out of business. They did. I want to make sure they make sure there's definition. They went out of business, not us. And so it was at that point we got our, our whole staff together and I said, we're going back to our core. We're going back to being strictly independent auto dealers. And uh, it's been our uh, the best choice we've ever made. So, Joe, what has this inventory crisis been like from your dealer's lens? Well, it's been really interesting. Um, I remember uh, we we started some seeing some things on the horizon back in early in January, February, uh, early February of 2020 about the, uh, the was now known as COVID and COVID virus, and um, we I I have been through. I always promised myself going through an 08, no nine that I would always be much more proactive than reactive. And so we started really buttoning down and I had several meetings with our executive management because business was rolling right along. And I said, we've got to make sure that we're cutting expense. We've got to make sure that we're questioning every dollar. I want to go through everything and see where we could cut expense, even though business is good. And if I'm wrong, then we would have improved our bottom line anyway by cutting expense and getting rid of maybe some some privileged expenses that we had or and get uh, which I think is a healthy exercise for any business to do and we start reducing the inventory and um, so we drove down our inventory by about oh it's about forty percent and it almost was at the point that we had um, two. two too few of inventory, you know, people start questioning, well, what's happening with the business because we had parked cars like this on the lot versus like side by side. And um, then the COVID hit, <clears throat> we got shut down. Uh, I'm in Colorado and we retail sales got shut down. And, and uh, as many, many across the nation, many businesses were, uh, then I remember studying, working with that, uh, but there was, one thing that seemed to keep going, which was being able to buy cars online. And at that point, we were in a very favorable position to purchase cars way back above. And I remember calling my key managers and I said, from home, I said, I don't know if I'm doing it right or wrong, but I'm going to start buying right now because we were like $8,000 back above, $10,000 $10, back above. And so we moved in and bought very heavily. And that proved to be a wise decision. Today, um, 
it's a bit of a different story because we know we we know that uh, vehicle prices are going to probably be sustained at least through the first quarter um, of next year. We believe we don't think that there's going to be a massive price drop. But the one thing that is done before we always had probably a surplus of inventory and carried uh, to ideally you want to carry a 45 day supply of, of vehicles. So if you sell 100 cars a month, you want to have 150 in stock, basically one and a half month supply. At least that's how I was always trained. And um, sometimes we get up to 60 days inventory and just because we always kept buying and had an ample supply. Now we're just buying to fill the holes because if there is a price drop, we don't want to get caught holding the bag. So probably our, our biggest challenge right now is getting the vehicle from purchase to front line and minimizing that time span. Because when we're running the leaner inventory, we've got to make sure that um, we're getting, if we're buying 10 vehicles, they've got to be on the front line. Uh, if we're buying them on Monday or Tuesday, we've got to get those on the front line by Friday or Saturday. And that's our biggest challenge right now. And how have you creatively sourced inventory in this market? Uh, the uh, Certainly, what continued purchasing auction, from auctions, uh, we've really spread out through um, a wide band of auctions. And ge ge geographically, we always try to stay in the Rocky Mountain region. Um, and now we're expanding out nationwide and willing to pay that additional freight to bring those, those vehicles in that we know will work and will sell. Um, we did hire uh, a buyer, a full-time buyer. It used to be just me and I would fill that in. And I realized that uh, it, in order to be much better, we need somebody full-time on it. And we are looking for a second buyer. So if anybody's looking, watching this podcast, we are looking for a second buyer. <laughs> and then, sorry, Zach. Um, I had to slide that in. Being a car dealer, always got to get that punchline <laughs> in, right? And then uh, we, uh, in addition to that, we're sourcing from buying off the street, buying off our, from our customers. And we're also sourcing cars from our local dealers because um, rather than sending the cars to the, to the uh, auction, you know, by going in, calling on dealers, we're saying, listen, if you've got aged inventory, whatever, we'll buy it from you, save you the costs and we're willing to pay a little bit extra because their car, we know the dealer and we're willing to pay extra because we know the vehicle has been reconditioned and is frontline ready. So um, it's been through um, um, just it, rather than be more focused and, and myopic, we really have expanded our vision on just trying to get vehicles from anywhere and everywhere including our service department. So we have signs in our service department saying we buy cars. May not be the car that's being serviced, but they may know somebody that's thinking of selling a car. So it's all over the place that we're huh. trying to fill. So what's different in your opinion about the pandemic customer versus the pre-pandemic customer from your dealership's lens in the way they shop, interact? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. Uh, really good question. Here's what I would say. The pre-pandemic customer was much more price-centric. 
And they would, if they, they would shop you with another dealer over a hundred dollars. And it was more of a transactional customer back then than it is today. Today, it's more, in our opinion, in our stores, we're seeing it's much more of a relationship buyer. They want to know that when they're purchasing a vehicle that uh, we will have an ongoing relationship with them, that we will be there for them, that while we're going through that transaction process, that we'll slow down, we'll actually talk to them, help educate them, give them different options. And uh, you know, the number one reason we survey our customers, Zach, and uh, we've been doing that for over 30 years, surveying that every customer and we have the same survey. So we have very good trends on those questions. And the number one, one of the questions is, is what is the one thing that most influenced your, your decision to purchase a vehicle from McCloskey Motors? And that has always been the number one reason has been the salesperson. And it's been at a rate ranking of like 60 or 70%, depending upon the, the time frame compared to 60%, 70% of the reason, number one influencing factor compared to price as being 20 or 25%. So now we're seeing that even rise up even higher. So they wanna see that that relationship, I think is very important. That trust is very, much more important. Uh, the one thing that has also changed, they're not shopping for $100 now because we're telling them, look, with the shortage of supply, and it is very true, if you leave over $100, then when you come back, there's a real good chance this car's going to be sold. And that has happened so many times that the salespeople know that it's not just a sales line. It's an actual fact because they've had to fade the heat when the customer comes back and they want to, wanted to buy a car and somebody else already sold it. And there's a lot of disappointment there. So they're able to genuinely convey to the customer, if you like the car and you're close on a price, you need to make that decision to own the car today versus continue shopping around because it may be sold. And I think we're seeing that across all segments. When I see something assured or, or whatever it is, you need to buy it then because of the shortage. If you're trying to buy a hammer and it's the last one on the hook, you better buy that hammer even if it's too much money, right? Agreed. And what is your strategy without giving anything away that you don't want to share with your inventory in the last part of 2021? Probably just what I, I talked about was, you know, trying to source better source our inventory. Also, um, we're, we're really trying to impart. One thing I did learn being a franchise dealer um, in parts, you always track uh, lost sales. And so if you have a parts department, you always want to make sure that by tracking that, so if somebody wanted a particular widget and you had three requests for that widget and you didn't have it in stock, then you now know you need to start stocking that, that widget, right? And um, so we're tracking our lost sales to make sure that we're, we're not only watching the turn of our inventory, what's selling quicker and faster, but also what are our lost opportunities? And we're beginning to find that really interesting because in the car business, you always want to log the customer and get their name and number, but I call it the lost sales report. Why, if we're closing at a 
30% rate, which is kind of industry standard, that means that 70% of customers did not buy. And if in today's world, if they're going out and they're walking into a dealership, it's, that means and they're, they may or may not be wearing a mask, and, but people just don't go out just to, to window shop anymore. They, they're on a mission. And if they're on a mission and they come in and we don't have that product, we need to know what that product is and then start trying to stock that product. If there's like two or three or four inquiries on that product. So we're, we're finding that strategy is beginning to, to pay off for us. And um, I think the, the better reconditioning of vehicles because customers' expectations are higher. Our cost per car on the reconditioning has gone up by about $200. And like I said, that that trying to get the vehicle from purchase to the front line in that shortest amount of time is very important because we're still selling cars out of our service department, meaning the vehicles are going through the reconditioning, and uh, which isn't really a good thing. But um, because we know we'll get a, a more satisfied customer and get a higher return on our investment if we have the vehicle reconditioned, frontline ready, and in the condition that the customer expects. So inventory management is one of the key components of a successful used car dealer operation. What else is important for dealers, especially used car dealers, to get right in this market? Well, number one thing is uh, you cannot improve anything that you cannot measure. And I really believe that you've got to really... Um, buckle down and if you want like measuring floor traffic, measuring the phone calls, measuring the activities of, of your sales staff, measuring the activities of your technicians. And another way where it's, if you want things to improve, we've got to figure out a way to quantify it and measure it. And then be able to clearly explain uh, what, what we're doing, why we're doing something because I think the why is very important for our staff that they know why this report is important or why this activity is very important and then certainly how to do it. Often we just go in and we tell them what to do. And I think that it's real important in today's world, today's social environment, that we've got to be more compassionate to explain to people, our staff why we're doing things. Um, the other thing I think is really important, particularly in today's uh, climate, and um, I had a, I just got back from a 20 group meeting and uh, an NIADA 20 group meeting. And one of the questions that was posed was, um, was similar to that. And I said, uh, probably the most important thing that we've got to do as independent dealers right now is uh, run it like we're going to sell it. And Neil, and, and Dave, you've heard the saying, uh, drive it like you stole it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, here, here is run it like you're going to sell it. So just think of like your house or your apartment. If you're going to be selling your house or apartment, you really maintain it and get it in tip-top shape, right? We've seen that all the house makeover shows and that type of thing. Everything's painted, clean, straightened up, decontented. We got rid of the the extra junk and the extra weight and that type of thing. Well, if you're doing that, running your business like you're going to sell it, 
then you look at your business from the outside in versus the inside out. Because we always sit at, at our desk and look out the window. But if you're actually standing on the outside and looking in, you know, what are your expenses? Are your expenses in line? Is, is there, um, are you overstaffed in a certain area? Is there somebody that needs to be uh, trained, transferred, or terminated? Uh, what does your cash flow look like? What do your inventory levels look like? How does your balance sheet look? You know, do you have a, a uh, your quick ratio, your ability to pay off debt? Your what is your long term debt? And so, if you're running your business, I think it's really important because being through all the things that I've seen in the past fifty years, you know, we always say, uh, "Well, we've got the experience." But I think the past few years have taught us you just can't make this stuff up. You know, it's just like who would have thought on top of everything? Oh, let's drop in a pandemic, yep. a worldwide pandemic on top of it. Right. So I think really running your business uh, efficiently, have it streamlined and uh, with the lowest amount of staff possible to do the job properly is absolutely key. So what advice do you have for a used car dealer just getting into the business, starting up in 2021? Uh, the number one thing I would say is join your state association and join NIADA and get involved in your associations and get involved in uh, NIADA's educational programs. You know, we have NIADA.tv. We have um, NIADA has all sorts of workshops. Uh, we do have the 20 group program, so if that fits for you, we will have programs that be available for those starting out. That's we're going to be rolling those out in the next year. Um, uh, participate in your state associations, their workshops, uh, and probably one of the most important thing is is to network amongst those fellow dealers because they'll help you if you're first starting out. They want to help you. They want to see you succeed and they want you to see you grow and they want you to, to avoid the pitfalls and um, the tragedies that could, that maybe they've seen in the past or that they narrowly escaped themselves. So those would be the important things. Um, the other thing is to be also uh, a, a student of the business, even though you may or may not have automotive experience, Running an operation is a lot different than ever managing one. Um, and you've got to make that transition for, from business employee to an actual business owner. And it's a whole different mindset. And so uh, lastly, I would say find a good mentor um, or mentors to help you grow and help you learn. Very good advice. And it kind of touches on my next question, but... Personally, for you, how has the NIADA and your local IADA been helpful for you as a dealership operator? Well, as you know, NIADA is celebrating its 75th anniversary. So they've been around for many, many years, obviously, many decades to aid uh, in the independent auto dealer and to protect the interests. Where they've really helped and I don't think people realize this, both on state associations as well as uh, the national, is they really protect the interests of the independent auto dealer, both from a regulatory, rulemaking, legislative uh, a process that 
Uh, there are so many different governmental agencies that from recalls to financing to um, taxes, those types of things, um, the associations have always really helped in that area. And that's one of the reasons why I got involved because as being a young car dealer, young business person back uh, many years ago, I would become frustrated and I would, so I'd call my local congressman and um, be barking at them about what I was upset about <laughs> legislatively or rulemaking or a policy or whatever. And it was kind of interesting because a short time after, I would always get audited from some government entity. <laughs> so I realized if I poked my head up right through through <laughs> this, it would get cut off. So I decided what I would do is is uh, join the greater good, and um, and certainly through that numbers speak volumes, and when you can go into a legislative. Um, official and say we represent over 14,000 members or on your state level, state legislator, we represent over a thousand of your constituents, you know, these small businesses, each employed people. So that really helps. The other thing, Zach, is I've been a member of our 20 group for over 25 years. And uh, that is, I've always said, that's the single best thing I've ever done for my business because it's like having a built-in board of directors. And it really helps keep your business on a cutting edge. And so I would, that has really helped. Um, plus I attend all the conventions that I can, both state as well as national, uh, because there I get that networking we've talked about, the workshops, and it just helps keep my business on the cutting edge. So lastly, Joe, what are your predictions for the rest of the year in terms of the used car marketplace? Boy, that's a tough question because there's so many different variables. Uh, again, I think what we're going to see, I, the car business is, I, I love being a used car dealer. I just love it because it's, uh, and I don't want these words to come back and haunt me, so I'm knocking on my desk, which is made out of wood. That, um, but the car business is good because it's more recession-proof. If times are good, People are trying to get a nicer, newer vehicle. If times are bad, they're not going to be buying a new car, which is right now is not available and may not be available. And they'll get a, a used vehicle and, uh, and then save their money. So I think the pandemic has proved and this, this era has proved that uh, with the shortage of new cars, that used vehicles are a much more viable option. So I think that because of the quality of independent dealers that are in the country and the way that we have been really striving to improve our image and our customer satisfaction, we've actually come up quite a bit on the notches of, and the trust factor in the public's eye. And so have used vehicles have come up. So I, it's interesting that once... Um, for the remainder of the year, I think it's going. To, the market's going to be strong, um, even if they do start coming out with some chips. Which again, they're from what I'm reading, they're saying is it going to be at least the first quarter. But if they do, and I start plugging chips into vehicles, uh, I think a lot of those those vehicles that will re be receiving the chips are already spoken for. They're already pre-sold. Um, so again, I think the inventory is going to be constrictive. Interest rates are at an all-time low. Uh, that really fuels the 
the buying, so a customer, regardless of their credit, could get a nicer, newer vehicle. Um, and the uh, as long as as businesses don't really watch the news and all of the drama, the political drama and the news, and they really pay attention to instead to their business, their people, uh, improve their people. Uh, I think that they'll find that they'll have a marvelous. Uh, fourth quarter of this year. Very well said, Joe. And I appreciate you so much for coming on to the podcast today. It's been an excellent episode. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And it's an honor to be on your podcast, Zach. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.